And welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy podcast. It's Thursday, the 23rd of September, and it appears that VSA is uh, definitely in the news today, Phil. I think I, I've been on Radio 5, Radio 4. It appears that my picture is now all over the BBC News online news channel discussing flexible working and working from home. Um, don't know if you've seen any of that, Phil. Yes, I have, Andrew. <laughs> Don't believe everything you read in the press, mind. But it's all good PR, isn't it? So here we are, Radio VSA, um, and it's tech and transitional energy. Um, don't worry, it's fine, Phil. I, I understand how you work entirely. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andrew. And I'm also delighted to say I'm in the office today. So. <laughs> You're in the office, and, and yeah, I'm not a bad boss. I'm not a dictator, and I'm not really a dinosaur, am I? Not at all. Not at all. Oh, anyway, um, let's kick off a little bit on a fairly sort of general point. But I noticed, um, obviously, this week a lot of the talk has been about the the energy crunch and energy firms collapsing left, right, and centre, and the gas price going ballistic. And of course, you know, Boris Johnson is over in in the US, standing up in in the the UN, talking about Kermit the Frog. I don't know if you saw that. He actually was trying to explain to global leaders about Kermit the Frog, who said he thought it was difficult being green and that Boris Johnson said that's not true. It's easy to be green. I mean, well, that's one way of describing everything, using Kermit the Frog. Anyway, the point is really that there is this um, huge energy situation at the moment in the UK. And, you know, everybody is saying, look, you know, there's not enough energy. We shut all the coal-fired power stations. The wind isn't blowing, the interconnector with France, who are a bit unhappy with us anyway, isn't working. Maybe they blew it up, who knows. Um, but no one's coming up with a solution. And yet we say this every week, the solution is pretty simple. You need energy storage. And actually, you know, we talk about certain parts of energy storage. You need the whole damn lot. You need hydrogen energy storage. You need compressed air energy storage. You need hydroelectric energy storage. You need lithium batteries. You need vanadium batteries. We need all of this to make this whole SWB, which is solar wind batteries, uh, new economy to work. And the sooner that uh, people realise this, the sooner we can get on and do it and get it in place and solve our energy crisis. Wouldn't you agree, Phil? Um, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I think that this, um, you know, the current crisis has really brought everything to the fore. Um, So very painful as it, it will be for I'm sure for many consumers, um, hopefully it sets a newer direction and, uh, you know, a newer impetus uh, for the years going ahead on what he's done in terms of in terms of energy supply. Well, all I can say is Boris Johnson or anybody in the UK government, if you're listening, which is quite unusual for a politician, I accept, um, come to us. We have the answer. Actually, also, whilst um, just talking about energy storage, I did notice that uh, at the start of this week, uh, Gore Street Energy uh, raised about £70 million to acquire another 57 megawatts of energy storage uh, based in Leicester. Uh, And also Gresham House Energy Storage Fund, they had their interims. And, you know, they're very much doing what they're saying they do on the tin. You get a sort of a 10% return per annum and it will go on ad infinitum to a certain extent. You know, for a pension fund, that's great. So we've got these these energy storage funds doing exactly as they should. The one issue with them, of course, that at the moment they're putting all their money into lithium iron energy storage, and, and that's 
going to be a bit of a problem um, because we all know that lithium-ion, unfortunately, doesn't last very long. And it's probably okay in the UK climate because the UK climate is, frankly, pretty cold and wet most of the time. Um, but we know that in places like Australia and California, um, they're all blowing up. And there's a bit of a problem when your energy storage blows up. It's not much use. Um, anyway, there's a, a couple of points on that. Um, anything you'd like to add on that, Bill? Well, obviously, you know, one of the points we get to and all the time is that it's clouds of ours. Infinity Energy is, you know, it's not terms of type, it's, it's longer term storage um, and, for, and for utilities. Um, so it's a different type of storage technology. And I think what we will see happen, it's got to remember as well, I was, I was just reading an article on BMW and it's, it's ordering of batteries. And this was a few weeks ago and they've ordered something like was it 20, million, 20 billion euros of batteries they're looking to order. Is that the... That there are other factors, you know, looking at different battery technologies, is the demand that there's going to be on lithium-ion. You're going to need alternative type types of storage, and it's and it's a key part of the of, of the grid. But I guess, as I say to you, you know, for things to really, really, really change, sometimes you need a big trigger event, uh, and my word, have we have one uh, in the UK. So to, you know, to and hopefully it will really accelerate progress. Well, I hope you're right. I hope it is a trigger event and that people do wake up to what is required. Uh, and look, let's be honest, how could we do a podcast and not mention Infinity Energy Systems? We, you know, it, it's um, it's almost de facto that we will, isn't it? <laughs> right. Anyway, so. <laughs> Although, actually, I tell you, moving on slightly, because um, yeah. you mentioned there about lithium and, you know, the huge growth in it. Um, more and more people are just starting to talk about lithium recycling. Um, which is very difficult. Um, there's very few people actually in the world that do it. Um, but the, the one that um, is out there, it was actually it did a reverse into a US SPAC, Lithium Cycle. It's a Canadian company, actually, but I can tell you its major shareholder actually is, is, is British, uh, based on Bond Street, a family office, very smart family office as well. And um, that stock has been ticking up just recently. When it did the SPAC deal, it came off. Um, but there are some interesting businesses starting to crop up involved in either lithium recycling or trying to create a lithium battery that is better designed um, so that it can be recycled. Uh, and we do actually have in Birmingham um, a company that is doing that. And I, I, I think we need to go and visit them, Phil. I think that's a fine a fine suggestion, and we hope it's it's a yeah what a, what an area, and it, there aren't many involved in it as you say, uh, and globally, and it is going to be a real real problem, um, you know, going forward. The batteries, as you know, they only have a certain amount of life, so so there's a definite need for it, an investment in that area, yeah. And the other one, of course, that we've seen this week that everyone's been talking about is the, this lack of CO2. I'm not sure it's really tech or transitional energy, mm. um, but it's become a huge issue, hasn't it? I mean, I'll tell you what, they've all been focused on the, the, the food industry, I think it was, and fertilizers and things. Like that. I mean, they all missed the, the key use of CO2, as far as I could see, which was really starting to worry me. And, and that's lager. I mean, well, you cannot have a pint of lager without CO2, can you? That Or tonic water. Yeah. <laughs> which is very <laughs> difficult. I wish I'm discovering is very... It's very difficult to make at home. So if anyone has any any suggestions, 
but it's look, it's all these key elements of the supply chain that we don't realise are there until something goes completely completely wrong. Um, and you know, we there's a supply chain that are in the hands of very few few companies. That's, yeah. Well, the the supply chain, and of course, we're seeing on an almost daily basis now the geopolitical situation between the West and China become, I think, it'd be fair to say, trickier and trickier. You know, one has to be very careful what one says, but um, you know, I think that certainly in in transitional energy, China has started on that route way before anybody else, uh, and is m- much further advanced. Uh, and the West needs to catch up. And, you know, again, it comes down to, I think for some of these things, you know, we've got some great companies, but we do need actually governments to, you know, help and to sort of say, yeah, look, you know, we want to get these things done. I know through the British Business Bank, they're doing some quite interesting deals where you can get um, technology businesses and that sort of thing, you know, get very good funding with a sort of very good sort of leverage as well um, to investors. Um, but we do need more, I think, support from, you know, central governments, et cetera, to say, look, you know, go for these things, get them out there, roll them out quick. Let's catch up. Well, China has its five year, is it five year plans that they do? Central government, central planning. Yeah, it has a five year plan every five years. So, I mean, um, we have five years at five year governments here. Yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> they don't always last five years. That's right. So there's not the. Yeah, we don't seem to have, sometimes we just lack that forward vision to say this is where we want to be in, you know, in 10 years' time. And mm. it says, but you've got to say, the UK did take a lead in terms of changing its energy mix. We had the dash, remember the dash for gas in the 1990s, yeah. where, you know, and I remember like every little central heating, gas central heating coming in in the molding off. And they sort of, you know, it was late 70s and 80s, I think, they converted over all the central heating to the gas, the gas and, then, and then with gas power generation and after the miners' strike, the move towards wholesale over to gas. Uh, and, that, and then we closed down the coal fired power stations to try and meet, you know, get ahead on the emissions requirements. So in some ways, we acted with a lot of foresight, but unfortunately, it's left us with a dependency. Mm. Well, particularly some of our nuclear uh, power stations were now so old and creaky. You yeah. can't rely on them either. So anyway, probably enough on that. But talking yeah. of dashing and building things up fast, we, we did both listen to um, uh, an interesting webinar from eSmart Networks, which is part of uh, Nexus Infrastructure, which is a stock, again, we've talked a lot about. Um you know, what is what is interesting, I think, there is, you know, the addressable market that they're looking at is, you know, they think approaching £10 billion. Um, and this this division of, uh, of Nexus infrastructure is growing incredibly fast uh, and is incredibly important, to be honest. I mean, they talked about having visibility over a pipeline of more than £400 million, which is extraordinary when you think it's, you know, it's a business that's literally started from scratch only a few years ago. Um, what, what do you think of the presentation, Phil? I thought, Lord, I thought the deck was. I, I thought what they presented was very, very informative, um, and especially if you were looking at the business um, for the first time. And it gave. I, I was quite. I think, like you, quite taken with the scale of the market opportunity. 
uh, within charging infrastructure, um, with, you know, within the UK. I mean, this was just looking at the UK for EV charging infrastructure. And, and particularly eye-catching as well is some of the work that they're doing. I thought, you know, with people like Amazon and Amazon's, you know, plans for uh, electrification of delivery fleets. And we're seeing more and more of that businesses, because, I mean, e-commerce is growing like, 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 you know, is very, very strongly in the UK. It all takes delivery. It all takes vans. And so electrification across the logistics uh, businesses is a, is, a, is a cracking opportunity. Mm. So. The trouble with the stock really is it, it's, it's, I mean, it's a relatively small company. Um, it's got a very tight shareholder base. Um, liquidity is, is, isn't great at the moment. Um, it, it needs a, a force of might to get it going, I think. Um, but it's been a good performer. It's slowly creeping up. Uh, you know, as, as we're very clear, we like it. We think it's worth an awful lot more than it currently is in the market. Um, but it's one of those ones that needs to yeah, get out there and shout a little bit, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a good story. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, so what else, what else have you been looking at, Phil? Uh, well, I'll tell you what I did look at very quickly is uh, UK Gridwatch just now. And uh, you'll be pleased to know that uh, generation in the UK is 30% gas and 30% wind. So the wind is blowing again. Hurrah. So maybe that gives some short-term relief. There was uh, news out this week that the UK technology sector had raised £13.5 billion pounds in the first six months of this year, three times the same amount last year. Uh, and there's some big, you know, big transactions in there, including um, Revolut and Cinch. But uh, there were 1,400 UK tech companies financed. So it's there's a lot of opportunity in technology and, uh, you know, many more of them look at the look at the public markets as well as the private markets. And of course, we, we support both uh, both areas of investment, private and public investment. But that's, that's super to see. I saw another stat to say that on tech now, London is, and in fact, the UK is second behind Silicon Valley. But as yeah, stat I mean, to say, you know, it's it's quite, quite something and why we're very keen to, you know, talk about the area and be involved in it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I did notice that in the press, actually. They're really talking it up. And, I mean, again, we've had some really big floats, you know, um, what have we had? Alpha Wave, Wise, Dark Trace, all these sort of things, we? As, as well as quite a lot of these sort of smaller ones that are coming along. And they're all doing pretty well. I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's um, and, of course, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, also about, you know, what the British Business Bank is trying to do to help fund some of these, you know, firms, be it through structures with venture capital firms. It is really interesting. Uh, again, it, it's probably more than we need to talk about here. But if anyone wants to talk about those sort of things, then you know, do give us a shout. Yeah. I, I think again, you know, one of the interesting things we've had, as you say, a lot of floats of technology companies and that sort of thing. And you know, we've commented on on this podcast quite a lot about the valuations. And I think the one bit that still, you know, sits in my mind a little bit is we're still not necessarily brilliant at getting the right value at IPO for some of these things. Uh, and so, and it's really important that you get a good aftermarket when you IPO a company, uh, and that everyone, a, a very well-known client who I talk to quite a lot, he's, he always says, Andrew, everyone's got to go home with a party balloon. And um, I think that's true. You know, you need to make sure that all your investors go home with a party balloon, and that you have a good aftermarket that carries on. It's quite interesting how often some of these stocks, you know, they come along, fly off the IPO, everyone's excited, and then they just drift away, and the, the price comes down and down and down, and you, you need to try and avoid that if possible. Not always possible, but if possible. Yeah, and that's why you know news flow, uh, certainly for quoted businesses, is very, very, very important. Um, 
And, and, and that's... actually, on that, another point on that, I, I, and I, I hate, um, not that I hate, actually, that's not true at all, but uh, I noticed that there's a, another broker is bringing a company, Super Dielectrics, hopefully to the market fairly soon. Um, now, they're involved in supercapacitors, and I think that supercapacitors is, it's a bit like solid state batteries in that it's not probably talked enough about and probably not enough people playing in the space because both solid state and supercapacitors have the possibility of really advancing forward the whole issues of battery powered EVs and that sort of thing and how energy is is stored quickly and that sort of stuff and in small spaces. I don't know if you, you have a view on that, Phil. Well, the supercaps are that they're, they're yeah they keep key, key components within well, they can be within electric vehicles in terms of providing um, short of storage and boost boost power. I mean, literally, a capacitor is an electronic storage device, and a supercapacitor stores uh, more than the average capacitor you'll find in your iPhone. Um, and they you know they they can boost the power. And uh, look, it's nice to see um, tech in this area. Uh, coming to the public markets, um, and, and, and the, more, the more the better, I say, because you know in the UK we've got all of this expertise in advanced automotive technologies. We don't so have the scale of automotive manufacturing that Germany has, but remember, most of Formula One is based here for a reason, and that's our engineering expertise. Um, and anything you know in terms of, of EB uh, technology and engineering that, that gets in front of investors is, it, to my mind, is a, is a is a very good thing and to be encouraged. Mm, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, now, uh, have we had any results you want to comment on this uh, last week, Phil? We have had uh, a number of interim, there's been a few interim results. Uh, one that we've discussed uh, before, which is, a, is learning technologies, Andrew, it's LTG as a ticket, and it's now 1.7 billion market cap. And this is one where you always give me a good kicking and say, Phil, you told me about this years ago, but it was years ago, Andrew. Um, but this was a, you know, it, it listed originally at a valuation of tens of millions, and it's been a, a buy and build. And this is why the public markets can be very powerful, is that you can raise, you, once you are listed, you can raise money very quickly to to acquire, and that's what they've done. Um, and what are the learning, learning technologies do? It's workplace digital learning and talent talent management platforms um, for corporations. Uh, they get involved in consultancy as well, but. But this is a this whole area is a big growth area as businesses you know want to grow, want to retain talent, want to train you know train them up, increase their knowledge. Uh, so that was interim results, and they had um, it was interesting this because they've they've got because they acquired they've obviously got acquisitive growth. So the sales top line sales grew by twenty nine percent, but the organic growth uh, was seven percent. So this was interims to June versus June of last year. Uh, the software platforms organic growth was five percent. I'm just looking across this. So, um, I guess the key takeaway for me on this one is that is organic growth there, but they make really good. This makes a really good EBIT margin, and they made an EBIT margin of about twenty-seven seven percent. And they've also announced in July they're going to make a very large acquisition a company called GP Strategies um, for three hundred ninety-four million dollars. So you can see here that they really are and it's this is obviously an international business now but they created um an international tech company and over you know a relatively short amount of time on the uk stock markets 
uh, from something that started quite small. So it's, you know, it's, it's just a, I do think learning technologies is a super, you know, example of what can be done. So that was, yeah, that was interesting to see. Something that uh, you might not have come across before is called Cooth, and the ticker is KOO, so 129 million market cap, and they've just had in trims. Uh, and this is a company that IPO'd in uh, September last 2020, raised 26 million pounds. Uh, market cap at the time of admission was 66 million, so it's just doubled uh, since then. What does it do? It's a mental health software company. Um, and they, you know, NHS waiting list for mental health now, now apparently it's 1.8 million people on waiting list for mental health treatment. But these is personalised digital mental health care. Now, I've not looked at the platform necessarily and what this does, but it certainly looks to be it's in an interesting uh, an interesting area where there is a there is a requirement for health for help and their revenues or interim revenues are up 35 percent which is which is and it looks, seems to be all organic growth um so that's that's quite eye-catching um also you've got net cash because they did the ipo uh and they saw an increase in their recurring revenue so their interim revenues were i'm sure they were eight million pounds well the recurring revenue was up 23 percent uh, of the total revenue so yeah, it's gone from loss to profit, hasn't it? But only just profit. But I'll tell you what, it has been a great performer. I mean, year to date, it's up uh, 58%. Um, so it's had a pretty good performance this year. Yeah, so it's, but, but you know, as I say, it's certainly serving a, a need and a need that's growing. And it was that that, that really caught my, uh, my eye. Another one uh, is Strix. I don't know if you've come across Strix before. Uh, the ticker is KETL, as in Kettle. Um, the market cap seven, uh, 740 million pounds. They had interims. Um, what does Strix do? It's the global leader in design, manufacture, and supply of kettle safety controls and other components, including um, water heating devices, uh, temperature control, steam management, and water filtration. In fact, I think I've got one of their uh, Aqua Optimus, their filtration brand. I've got one of those at home. Anyway, Strix who makes these components had um, their sales, interim sales were up by 25%. Um, and a lot of that dropped through to gross profits, which was quite interesting. So their profit, gross profits were up 23% and um, operating profits were up by 13%. But just looking at this, this is quite a surprisingly high margin business. So the revenue was 55 million. The operating profit was 14 million. Um, so and that you know this is kettle components so they've obviously got something that's quite special in terms of what they provide to generate that sort of you know it's a 27% operating margin. Next time I make a cup of coffee, I will have a look at the kettle and think differently. That stock's up 60% this year as well. Yeah, I've never really looked at this one before. Mm. I saw a, a Depth Technology had a, an AGM update this morning, uh, which was pretty good. I mean, that's still in line with expectations, but they said they had a very positive start to the year. So there's another one that seems to be doing quite well. And I'd say in general, the tech companies are are actually performing pretty well, aren't they? They are. They're starting to recover. I mean, I, did you see Quixent? Um, so QXT is a ticker, 120 million market cap. And they design, and I, I do know this company well, um, at, uh, they design computer systems that go into gaming machines. 
uh, and also screen technology. And if you use gaming machines or you're in casinos, that you will see the very, very advanced games that can change the games because all the machines have these have computers in them that enables that to happen. Um, and they, you know, obviously casinos and everything have been shut, you know, due to lockdown. Um, but they've uh, they come out of the interims and clearly business, you know, people are going back and using these things and uh, their business is recovering quite strongly. Uh, and they had uh, their interim sales were up by 25% and they are, their EBITDA was up by 17%. So 17 million of EBITDA on revenue of 55 million. So a good, decent EBITDA margin um, and a strong operating profit. But uh, there's a business that's recovering, starting to recover well as well. And another one that had results today, actually, and we, we tend to count it a little bit in technology, but is the Aquis Exchange. We count it because it's sort of a technologically-led stock exchange alongside the London Stock Exchange. It's the competitor. Uh, and they had uh, some pretty good interims today. Um, and they're now doing 6.2% uh, of all the trade across Europe, uh, which does make them one of the biggest exchanges in Europe. And so uh, people shouldn't forget that. Uh, you're going to hear more and more about Aquis as we go forward. There we go. Yeah. Any other results you wanted to comment upon? Uh, yeah, final, I guess the final one from me is what I haven't come across before is a tract group. Um, and that's a tract spelt with two T's. Uh, ticket is ATQT. The market cap is 80 million. Um, and this is an e-commerce technology company. And I think I've come across, yeah, this is, I'll tell you what this is. I think the foundation of this was a company called um, Fred Hopper Software that used to be with an SDL. But it's it's enhanced customer journey optimization. Now, what does that mean? It means when you are on a website, it's actually looking at behavior on a website and making sure that things appear as you're searching through the website and reacting to your needs. I mean, a classic simple example of this is like Amazon. And if you search on welly boots, it will say customers also purchased or customers also looked at. So it's all tailoring your e-commerce journey across. A massive business, isn't it? This across. whole messing around with data and what people look at. And sometimes I'm amazed, you know, you're, you're looking at something and it, it goes and tells you where to find something. That's funny. I was thinking of buying that. And then you realise that actually it's because someone's realised that you looked at a website, the cookies had gone in or whatever. Um, I always thought cookies were biscuits you ate, but apparently there's some technological thing. Um, I, I can't decide whether I like it or not, though, because sometimes it also drives me insane. I feel I'm being spied on the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, indeed. But sometimes it can be very, very helpful as well. So <laughs> just a quid, a quid pro quo. Yeah, um, I think that's probably right. So it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think sometimes I, I would rather have it because it does give you give you, give you lots of choices. But I think it, look, at the end of the day, a website needs to be tailored so it maximizes business. Um, and this is what the, this, their software is helping companies uh, companies to do. So quite, quite the other one, actually, I should just comment on. So there was another set of figures I, I wanted to just quickly mention is Warpaint. I don't know if you look at that one at all, but they're obviously um, basically it's um, what's their brand? They've got one really well-known brand. There's a lot of uh, female beauty products, you know, lipstick and that sort of stuff. Um, oh, sorry, the brand slipped my mind, but they're doing really well as well, actually, because the, you know the sales of these sort of 
I describe as low price beauty brands are really going well, but they're also pushing strongly into China, aren't they? Yes, they are. And onto the e-commerce platforms there. Yep. And that's an area that we obviously watch a lot with our client, Samarkand. Um, so, and it is, you know, whatever we think about China, there's still such a huge, you know, you look at the UK and you've got a population of, I don't know, 50 million or something. So you go to China and you put a knot on the end, almost put another knot on the end, not quite, but, you know, it's just vast. And therefore, it is, if you can get it right, it's such a massive market. But yeah, war paint seems to be doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yes, going to the largest uh, global e-commerce market. And it really is by a, by a factor. But it, what a super space! It's a super space um, e-commerce markets and, and you know ever growing. So one that we look at closely. Yep. So you know, you know, maybe just to wrap it up, you know, we are now, uh, you know, we're well into September. We've seen quite a lot of IPOs and things coming on. We've seen quite a few M and As as well. Uh, you know, just yesterday we had first group and stagecoach getting together. Then we had a bid for Labbrooks. I think we're going to see a lot more M&A as we go through the autumn. Often in October, the markets have a little bit of a wobble. Often it's because we have a hurricane comes through and at the same time the market crashes. You know, a lot of market crashes are taking place then. I, the market is a little bit nervous. The VIX index has gone up. You know, it was sitting at about 25 the other day. It's come back a little bit. Um, you know, are we about to have another little bit of a wobble of the market during the autumn? I hope not. Um, you know, clearly uh, the Evergrande situation in China spooked the markets a little bit. And we'll always keep an eye on interest rates in case there's a sign that they may start to go up, which will obviously spook the market. But I sort of feel we're not a, I wouldn't say I'm in a rampantly bullish mood for the market, but I think we're probably all right. It seems to still be a reasonable amount of cash out there. Uh, I think there's still money to be made. And quite a lot of valuations did actually come back quite a long way over the summer to put stock prices back at a level that start to look attractive again. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And a, a behind it, though, is growth and the pace of growth. And this is why we're talking about companies' results and seeing how they're recovering. Um, you know, post, well, I say post pandemics of tempting fate, but how they are just re recovering as we come through things. And so that's what we're, why we're talking about company results, looking at the growth numbers, um, because at the end of the day, it's those earnings numbers and or growth rates on revenues, whatever, that help to drive valuations. You're spot on. The fundamentals always catch up in the end. On that note, Phil, let's we talk for 30 minutes. You, and that's probably enough. I think probably about enough of us two droning on. Uh, but as I always say at the end of this, if people have got anything you want us to discuss, uh, let us know. If you disagree with anything we say, let us know. That's always far more interesting to hear about disagreements than agreements in many ways. And uh, and always never believe everything you read in the press or hear on the radio or on podcasts completely, because there's often a reason for it. Anyway, on that note, uh, very good, Phil. We'll speak again next week. I will do, Andrew. Look forward to it.